Hello, welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Sunday evening. Joining me from Fort Myers, Florida, is our front office insider, longtime NBA executive, our NBA executive on our staff, Bobby Marks. Hey, Bobby. Hey, Brian. How are we? I'm good, thanks. Um, today, I'm... I'm, you know, in a, it's a weird thing, but I'm actually in London right now. And uh, I went to Arsenal versus Man United proper football today. It's a great experience. Uh, Arsenal, the home team, won three to two in the final minute of, uh, of uh, regulation. So it was an awesome game. Uh, I, there's a lot that the Premier League does right that the NBA could learn from. Um, and I know it's obviously a very different sport, but you know, uh, you know, it's, it was a bit of a bit of a tough weekend for the NBA because we've had another issue of resting players. This has been happening for five, six years now. Um, and the reason it's interesting, Bobby, is because the, the collective bargaining agreement talks are going on. Um, and I've heard like several times, I hear people say, oh, wait till the owners get to deal with this. I don't, this is, I don't think this is an, this is an issue that's, that's bigger than just talks with the players. You know, like this is a, it's not an issue of like a, a bargaining issue. This is not really a negotiable thing. And so um, like Steve Kerr, he kind of, he, you know, Friday, you know, the, the warriors were in town in January on a Friday night in Cleveland. And it's not just a big ticket that the champs are in town on a Friday night in the winter because there's not a lot of other options in Cleveland, but also the teams charge a premium for those tickets. And not only that, but, you know, they announced that that Steph and Clay and Draymond and Wiggins were going to be out with a few hours before tip off. And we've seen this, we've seen this repeat over and over. And Steve Kerr just was like, look, it's, I feel terrible, but we're making the best decision we can. And what happens is um, when this happens, a lot of people complain about it. A lot of people, including Steve, who, you know, reaffirmed his desire to have a 72 game season, but a lot of people come up with reasons, you know, things that they could do to alleviate it. But Bobby, I don't think there's a magic bullet and I don't think there's going to be a magic bullet coming in this CBA of all the stuff that I've heard is under discussion as they work through their talks towards the newest deadline, which is in February. I don't know. I don't think this is going to be something that's resolved. And I don't know what you do about it. Well, I, I agree. And I think if, if you're the players, you're saying, well, wait a minute, this is the team that's dictating if we play or not, right? The, the strength and conditioning or the sports science staff, it's, it's a team. It's I'm, Steph Curry's not going to Steve Kerr or Draymond or Andrew Wiggins or Clay Thompson. It's the, the medical staff saying this is kind of where their load management with is where they are. It's a back-to-back game. Um, it's all scheduled out. So it's, it's not going to be a, you know, this is not a collectively bargained thing between the players who would say, Hey, we want to play, but we're following what our, our sports science um, staff is saying here. I, I don't, I don't see unless we start, you know, sh- shrinking the schedule down. But here's an example, Brian. I mean, Philadelphia is in Sacramento on Saturday night. They were in in Portland on Thursday night. It wasn't a back to back, and Joel Embiid and, and James Harden didn't play, and they don't play again till Tuesday. 
So who's to say if we go 66 games or 65 games, teams are going to take that approach um, like Philadelphia did. I, I mean, the Clippers played um, Dallas on Sunday afternoon and won. And you're watching Kawhi Leonard and you're saying, man, I'd love to see Kawhi out there for 70. He was tremendous. I mean, for 70 games. And it might benefit the Clippers at the end of the day, how rested he might be when we get towards the playoffs here. And I think the only thing I would say is that if you're, and I, and I hate to say, if you're, if you're a paying customer and you want to go see one of these players, you got to look at the schedule and see where that team is, right? Like there's a buyer beware sticker. If, if, um, if, if Golden State's kind of on a back-to-back in Boston and you're in, you live in Cleveland, then you have to think twice about buying, um, you know, buying the ticket here. So it's a, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough situation here, but as I said, unless we, unless we shrink the schedule, I think the, the one thing, and it's hard. And so I've had people say, well, eliminate back to backs. I mean, you know, the, I've done the scheduling when, when I was with the nets um, it's like doing a puzzle. Um, you share the most arenas are shared with uh, NHL. Some teams have three uh, LA's got three teams in there. Finding dates is not easy, right? Like matching dates up here. I, I would say the one thing that, the league maybe could do a better job at is if you have an, a Western conference team going East or an Eastern conference team out West, maybe not play it, have that, try to work where it isn't a back-to-back, right. Where it would alleviate maybe that risk as far as a Curry or a Thompson not playing here. I mean, that's really the only solution if we don't want to touch 82 games and, and, and shrink that down a little bit. Yeah. So um, I've talked about this occasionally over the years. And um, when I have talked about it, I, without fail, get uh, frustrations and complaints from either side. Um, So, for example, the league has said that they have worked very hard to reduce back-to-backs. They have eliminated four games in five nights, um, which were, you know, used to have that, what, at least twice a year? used to have that oh yeah and, i mean uh, we, we back in the day i mean it was like three times i think we had like three times i remember doing it as a as a beat writer and several times um when i was covering the Cavs or the heat those are the two teams i was a beat writer for all f- we had four and five nights and all four of those games were on the road uh, occasionally maybe they would be in the same area um you know, so you didn't have the tough and the trial, but I distinctly remember uh, a back-to-back where two games were in Texas and two games were in Florida over five days. So you're in four different cities taking four different flights. They got rid of that. Um, and, you know, there's been all these other measures. They've increased the time at the all-star break. They've um, reduced preseason games. Um, and so, you know, the league can show dad and say, look, we're working on it. We're listening. We're trying to make this happen. They've uh, altered the schedule. So that's the national TV games are sheltered a little bit from being the second night of back-to-backs. So the league has definitely taken it, but then I can tell you, say the other side, which is that in the Adam silver tenure, which is now a decade, there has been an adjustment to the schedule. And that adjustment has been to add games <laughs> they have added games uh, uh they've added the play-in tournament so that i mean it's not a game for everybody but you know you know out of one side they've done more on the other side they're adding games and their discussions with the you know with the league with the the union and the um and the league this year 
are about adding games, Bobby, because the midseason tournament, which is almost certainly going to get in put in, is going to add games. Now, I understand there may be a slightly less, you know, the way it might work out, teams might not have a guaranteed 82 games, but they are adding to the schedule, you know. Um, so, you know, it action, I always say on this podcast is actions over words. And and the actions of the league are that they're not really interested in reducing the schedule. They're interested in reducing the burden, but they're not interested in reducing the schedule. And um, the players' actions are are clear that they're not interested, and they're not interested in reducing the, um, you know, reducing the games because that would mean less money. So. Um, and Steve Kerr, you know, talked about 72 games. I remember, I think Greg Popovich might have said this a couple of years ago, or maybe it was sort of in, in, inferred by what he said, but th- th- it's already not an 82-game schedule because the teams look at it when the schedule comes out and they're like, well, our guys are probably not going to play here, here, and here, and that's before their guys get injured. And so they're like, we're actually already operating like it's a 72-game schedule or a 75-game schedule or whatever, um, and they just haven't told anybody yet. And you find out in drips and drabs. Um, but the thing about it is, is that ultimately at the end of the day, um, if you continue to send this message to your customer, there are going to be repercussions. Um, and that's not a commentary on player safety. In, in, um, in principle, I am for the reduction of games. I am for, I do think that their scarcity would matter. You know, like, um, you know, I've spent some time recently overseas, spent some time in France with French league games, and then they play a lot fewer games and the emphasis is a lot different. Uh, they also make literally one, one hundred, what fraction of the money that the NBA teams do. And, and you know, in, in spending, you know, I went to the Premier League game today, obviously soccer and, uh, and, uh, and basketball are very different, but the intensity of these games because of the scarcity is unquestioned. And of course we know about it from the NFL. Um, But at the same time, like I also am a complete realist on the reality that the NBA is making a decision basically made may, they may not put it in bold type, but the decision that they're making is we would rather have 82 games and disappoint fans on a small scale basis, but keep the 82 game money and deal with the little flame ups every now and then like this. And then, you know, people talk about it on shows and podcasts, or whatever. And then everybody forgets about it until the next time. That's the way I think they're operating. And I don't feel that there's any material, meaningful change coming. Again, I know that I might hear from the league office tomorrow and they're going to give me stat- stats about how they've built rest in. I, I acknowledge that, but I don't think I, I don't think there's any significant change coming. No, I, I mean I think the only significant change might coming will be how you know guys are, you know, from a criteria standpoint for awards, right? I mean I know the commissioner kind of floated it out. If you you know for if you're a candidate for All NBA and that may have some repercussions on a super max that maybe it's 65 games, right? Maybe there's a, cri- a games number that you have to hit for certain things here. And, but that at the end of the day really impacts a, a small fraction. I think I'm interested in, in this is probably the year would be some of these teams that are 
playing type teams um, if it's a Golden State or Phoenix. And I know Phoenix has had some injuries, but I'd be interested in, in you know, a Golden State or uh, the Clippers is probably a, a be- probably the better example that I mean, they're I mean, they rest guys. Right. I mean, like if, if Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are playing, uh, they're, they're not playing the next night on a back on a back to back. It's basically kind of rotating kind of who's in and out. If, if that team gets out of the Western Conference or gets to a Western Conference as a playing team, right? Where you, And you have a team like Memphis and Denver who really don't rest guys at all. Even J- Jamal Murray, to an extent, who's coming off an injury, and, and Michael Porter uh, Jr., um, I mean, John Morant doesn't rest at all, really. Um, and these teams are, you know, get through an 82 grind, and here's the Clippers, right? Nice and refreshed, ready for, and that's, that's going to have, you know, that will have repercussions on the teams like these teams that have young players saying, well, wait a minute, we're going to have to kind of sh- take a different stand as far as, cause the Clippers did it. Why can't, why shouldn't we follow that, that lead? Yeah. And the Clippers got, uh, they got fined right in Kawhi's first year there. Yes. For, for where they were handling it, but um, there hasn't been any. There hasn't been any uh, really anything since. So, so basically what I'm saying is, even though I'm contributing to it, I think this is a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing. It's really just, um, I don't think it's going to change. And I, and I, uh, and I don't have, I don't, I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a hot take on it because I don't think that's useful. And I think it's just a complicated situation. Everyone's going to hold their nose on. I think, yeah. And it's a small fraction. Like we really didn't hear boo from Sacramento. Right. I mean, Sacramento, I mean, Harden and, and Embiid don't have the, the drawing power like Curry or Luca. You well, know, Luka, the other thing is the Kings fans are really excited about their yes, team. It's the product. And that's what the, you know, yeah. it's the product. And of course, like Luca is another good example. They played in, in Cleveland. I mean, poor Cleveland. They took, they've taken the brunt here back in December and um, did not play. And I don't blame Dallas. They were, they played Chicago in Dallas on a Friday night, fly to Cleveland. And he doesn't play for rest. So, and that's my argument, you know, where like, well, maybe we look at what the schedule where if you're a Western conference team and you're going East on the second night of the back to back, how do we kind of, how do we fix, you know, fix that? Well, also the Cavs, by the way, lost that game to the Warriors. Um, gave up, I think almost lost to Dallas and almost lost to Dallas. That was the game that Kemba played like 40 minutes. And I don't think we'll see him again. (laughs) (laughs) He might be right. There's one big moment with the, with the Mavericks. And then Saturday, the Cavs played on the second night of a back to back. Um, and, uh, the bucks were in town and Giannis sat now Giannis has been dealing with a knee issue. So, I mean, that wasn't really, I I think that was, uh, you know, they were resting him too, but I think that was also, uh, a preventative measure too, but um, yeah, they, you know, so, you know, you, you have weekend games, you know, if you're in Cleveland, you had weekend games. So, you know, warriors on Friday bucks on Saturday, you didn't see Donovan Mitchell. He's got a groin injury in either game and you didn't see Giannis and you didn't see Steph and you didn't see clay Thompson, <laughs> you know? So, um, you know, and you saw the Cavs go one and one Evan Mobley did score 38. You can say you saw Evan Mobley score 38 right. on Saturday night. Um, so I got to tell you, Bobby, I was getting ready to talk all talk on the pond, this pod. I was getting ready to talk about the Hawks. Um, cause for all the trouble that they've had, um, with their front office and coaching staff and players, there's been a lot of stuff, probably 
as much written about the Hawks during the season about off court stuff that I can remember in my 20 years covering the NBA. They were actually playing really, really well recently, and they were getting on to a nice run. I think they had won um, five or six in a row, and like maybe eight out of ten. And I was getting ready to talk about them, and then they kicked a home game to the Hornets on Saturday night, and I was like, "Oh no!" That usually it would have been better if we talked about it, and then they played the Hornets tonight because that's usually how it works out, right? Yeah, this podcast is. <laughs> put the put the hex on so many people and teams this year so yeah i guess maybe they did me a favor um the hawks are a complicated situation you know also this last week you had Dejounte murray going on the all the smoke podcast um and probably as uh, forthcoming of an interview as i've ever seen with Dejounte, um really com- really letting out his frustration about the way his career went in san antonio and I actually thought his career in San Antonio, I mean, he tore his ACL, which was tough, obviously. And he tore his ACL at contract time. And they gave him an extension that he is now underpaid on because when they gave it to him, you know, they weren't 100% sure he was coming out of the ACL. And I thought if he was going to have a complaint about his time in San Antonio, it was going to be about the contract or that. But no, he was, he was frustrated when he came in. He kind of had to play in the G League his first year. And, and that, you know, he was frustrated about, you know, Tony Parker not being necessarily thrilled about him coming in for his job. And uh, it makes me wonder, this is what I'm thinking about. Like, it was a really good interview. Like, you know, they did a great job. Steven Jackson and Matt Barnes did a great job of, you know, getting um, DeJounte to be so honest. They, they often do with players. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking, Bobby, I'm like, well, what's DeJounte going to be saying about this Hawk season? Like when he gives an interview and all the smoke in like two years Five, or less two years from now when he's in uh, a <laughs> Laker Jersey, <laughs> when he says, you know, uh, yeah, or wherever. Um, uh, because, you know, it's not that often you see general manager changes mid season, certainly not in December, like when Travis Schlank stepped aside and there's been a lot of reporting on this. Um, but one thing I'll, I'll say, Bobby, is, you know, they're having a fair amount of adversity in the front office of Atlanta right now. And I'm very cognizant of letting, you know, it's very easy as a journalist to see a situation and say, one of the things I hate, I really don't like is when I hear people say, that's a mess. They say, how many times when you were in Brooklyn and New Jersey, <laughs> did somebody declare in the media, that's a mess, you know? Well, you know, I always I find it funny that like we, yeah, you, it was a mess, but there, there, there was other 29 teams that also had a mess, but they were other teams were just winning games. <laughs> like, that's right. like San Antonio had the same problems everyone else did during that great run. They just won games and stuff were basically camouflaged. Right. So I don't, I don't like it's a mess because seasons are long careers are long games are long. I am going to wait and see how things work out with the Hawks. Um, that said, they had a veteran uh, general manager who had built this team and drafted really, really well, basically want out of the job uh, in the middle of the season and um, one out of the job that he had three years 
left on his contract for at big money. For a general manager, he Travis Schlenk got an extension and he was making very good money. I, I, I don't, you know, general manager salaries and team president salaries aren't publicized that much, Bobby. But I'm going to guess he was in the top third, if not the top quarter. Maybe he would dispute that, but he was being paid and still is being paid very, very well. He had a good contract <coughs> and he got extended not too long ago. And he basically, the, the erosion, for, as I understand it, started, well, it didn't start, maybe it didn't start, but the big problem was the DeJounte Murray trade. Well, there were other voices in there. So you have, you have this very young front office taking over right now. So Landry Fields, who I believe is like 33 or 34, who a lot of people think is really, really smart. I mean, he went to Stanford. Um, that's, you know, you don't have to say Landry's smart. If you, if you followed him during his career, uh, he's obviously a very intelligent guy. Got seasoning in San Antonio. Um, he's now running, running the team. And then um, there's been a lot of stuff about some of the young guys who are running the team with him. And, and they did. Not only did Travis Schlank step aside, and they called him a consultant, but for, as I understand it, he's not really, you know, he's, he's, on, he's on the payroll and he's there, but he's, he, he doesn't have an office at the facility anymore. He's not there. He's, you know, I suppose they could call him and ask him about a trade, but I, I don't foresee that happening. So they've got a very young front office in the middle of the season. And frankly, they're in the middle of trade talks. There's a possibility they could make a trade uh, at, at, you know, coming to the deadline. And they've got a, a real young um, uh, front office because in addition to Travis, they also um, dismissed some other uh, guys in the front office, some guys who had 20 to 25 plus years experience uh, in the NBA um, that they also uh, let go, uh, dismissed. Um, and so they had a real experience drain. And recently they uh, were interested in hiring Chris Grant away from the San Antonio Spurs. Chris Grant's 25 plus years in the NBA was with the, I think the Hawks for 10 years. In fact, at one point got offered the Hawks general manager job and turned it down um, uh, when he was with the Cleveland Cavs. And from what I'm told, even though they were interested in bringing him that um, Chris has actually pulled his name out of consideration. He's going to stay with the Spurs. He's happy in San Antonio. And so, you know, now, you know, you have a, you know, they tried to add a veteran and now they're going to have to maybe look for another veteran. Um, and then, so again, it's people can say, boy, that's a mess, but you know what, Bobby, they're, they're kind of playing better. Trey young, who was really having a rough shooting season has been, has been playing better. Um, they had a terrible Hornets loss. They've been playing better as a team. They've uh, Nate McMillan has altered the rotation, the lineups a little bit. Trey is taking, for the time being, it appears to be taking fewer, you know, out of pocket shots and being a better passer. And look, Bobby, they they have the deadline. How do we know they're not going to make a great trade just because they're young and haven't done it before? Like it, it's a concerning situation. It doesn't mean that they won't have a make a good execution trade here. So um, it's an unusual situation, but I, I'm I'm going to reserve judgment. I know that they've been taking a lot of uh, bruising from the media. I'm going to reserve judgment and just watch them for a little bit, both the team and the front office, before I declare this season a big problem or, or, or this season a loss. 
Yeah, I mean, before the Charlotte game where Terry Rozier got fouled twice shooting a three, I think in the last two minutes, one of them went in. Um, I had not seen that before. <laughs> um, and you, you, they'd won five, you know, they've won five of six, including the Charlotte game. Their game out of six as of Sunday, um, seven and three in the last 10. Third in offensive rating. They've turned it around here. One one game out of six, as I said. And Murray's uh, and, and Trey Young's averaging close to 10 assists in that stretch. Shot only four threes against Charlotte. So it was a, there was is, a game last week. I yeah. don't remember what game he shot one three. Now, I don't think you should shoot, be shooting one. Right. Let's shoot more than one. But he is it, Trey. He has taken some heat from his teammates. He has had some issues with his head coach this year. But I am noticing an attempt to change behavior. Sorry to interrupt you. No. Um, and DeJounte Murray, you know, he's been great. I mean, 26, 50, and shooting over 55% from field in three in the last, you know, six, six or seven games here. Um, I think the one thing with Atlanta is when you have strong ownership and a strong owner that has a voice, right? Like their owners are absentee owners, right? And, but there is an owner, there's, Tony Ressler is involved. Like he's yes. heavily, heavily. <laughs> that's an understatement. Heavily involved, and he's he's been on the record. He came out and said after they lost to um, Milwaukee in um, in the Eastern Conference Finals, that team should have been basically kind of not broken up, but not brought back. I would disagree with him. Where like I didn't see anything, whether it had been John Collins, like John Collins was restricted free agent, and you know with. Trey Young and Kevin Herter and Capella in that group, like they spent a lot of money. They spent $300 million on extensions and new contracts to bring that group back. Like, and they're not, but they were all in the prime of their career. They were young players. So I would, I would disagree. I would say this though, Brian, li having lived through dysfunction a lot, the one thing they don't, you don't want them to be is the Seacaucus seven. <laughs> and for the listeners out there who don't know who the Seacaucus seven are, we had a group in, in New Jersey when I first started with the Nets of seven owners, right? Imagine that seven owners who at least had a 10% ownership. Like they all had a piece of this. And there was a lot of different voices on when a trade should be approved, when it shouldn't be approved, what gets, you know, how the roster looks here. And that's the one thing when you better have a complete alignment here. And I'm the one thing I would be concerned with is basically like you better have full Nate McMillan better have full support because it felt like at one point there was like internal sabotage going on with him. Um, so they, you, you can't turn into where, you know, it's one thing to disagree on things, but at the end of the day, they're all going to have to be on, on the same page as far as if it's a, if it's a John Collins trade or if it's not John Collins trade, you know, you move on here. And um, as I, as you said, like, yeah, I'm on a, I'm going to reserve judgment because it's not like they're 15 and 35 right now. Right. And right. we're like, like right. it's their game out of six and they have played better basketball here. I like their roster here. I don't like it. You know, I'm not putting up there where Boston is, but they've got guys in the prime of their career here. And I think the one thing you don't want to be is, you know, you traded two, what three first two unprotected or two were unprotected, a pick swap, for DeJounte Murray and him, him leave when he becomes a free agent in 2024, because, you know, he's not going to sign an extension there next, you know, unless the rules change um, in, in Atlanta. And he went on the record. I think he did it with Sam Amick at the athletic. And he said, like, like, I'm not used to all this 
I don't know what well, he didn't call it a circus, but how everything is kind of out in the open, like in San Antonio, like we didn't deal with things out in the open like that, as far as trade rumors or things with coaches here. And um, that's, that, that would be my biggest concern is that Murray looks at the situation and in, in a year from now and have to probably all the league has, has cap space and be like, this is not where I want to spend my next four or five years. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is all the lift big, get big, and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start. With thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can, even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com bike slash rentals. Terms apply. Yeah, so I would guess, I don't know, I'm saying I would guess, okay, uh, that the Hawks are very, very intently watching the the possible rule, the rules to the ex- uh, changes to the extension rule. We talked when you were on the pod three weeks ago, I think we talked about guys who could get extended. And um, we also talked about how DeJounte Murray and Jalen Brown are in the same boat where <clears throat> they're outperforming their contract number. And but they can only increase their contract by a certain amount. If they extend, they're way, way more incentivized to let their contracts expire and then start a whole new deal the way the rules are written. And um, because you could only give so much of a raise um, and yeah, 20%. since they signed, yep. yeah. And since they signed their contracts, um, not only have they become all-stars, um, has Jalen Brown made an all-star team? Yeah, I assume- he made it last last year, I think, because okay. he's got a bonus tied in there too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, he's going to make it this year too. Um, Dejounte Murray was an all star last year. Uh, I don't know if he'll get there this year, but um, he's playing like an all star recently. Um, I would assume that they're keeping an eye on those extension rules, just like the Celtics. You know, I know another team that's keeping an eye on the extension rules are the Cavs, because Donovan Mitchell has two years left on his contract, but. Um, they're a little bit jammed up in how they can extend him if they also want to give um, Evan Mobley a max extension, which I would predict that they are headed in that direction. So there's some teams watching this. Um, but the thing is, is that you just never want your, your star players to get to unrestricted free agency. And um, that's why, you know, the nitty, you know, the nitty gritty on the CBA that, we think will get done before next season. Um, whether it's during this season or it's in the summer um, is going to matter, especially to matter to the Hawks. And, you know, but even if the rules change, DeJounte has got to want to sign it. 
And, uh, you know, when you put so many eggs in one basket with that trade, like, you know, you see Donovan Mitchell in Cleveland, like, you know, they're a year away from feeling some heat with him because a year from now he'll be going into the last year of his contract. You know, I should say a year from the summer, he'll be going into the last year of his contract and, you know, be like, boy, traded three firsts and two pick swaps for him. You really want to lock him up. But Donovan is turning handsprings in Cleveland. He's talked about how much he loves it. They're playing well. He's playing great. I can't predict what the world will look like in the summer of 2024, but you feel good about it right now. I don't know about where DeJounte and the Hawks are. Like if all of a sudden there's a, a new rule in the CBA where guys like DeJounte or Donovan could extend this summer, I know I would feel better about Donovan doing it than DeJounte at this point. And I think you bring up a good point that, um, that that's a factor, especially for a guy who he didn't choose Atlanta, you know, I mean, he didn't choose San Antonio either, but he did choose to sign an extension there. Um, you know, he didn't choose Atlanta and, um, you know, you're all, you're, you know, the way he fits with Trey young is important. And, you know, I, I think that's something that's very, very important for them in the next, you know, 18 months to stabilize their coaching situation, to stabilize their front office situation. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think with the extension rules, you know, big picture, I think it's probably in the best interest of both sides that that's one of the things that gets rectified as far as, you know, I, you know, as far as there's no reason why you can, you can, you can't be extension eligible and, and not sign a contract that's worth the percentage of the cap when you're a free agent. I mean, it's just, it just, you know, if, if the league is looking into player retention, player staying with teams, you know, at least in the, you know, not getting to free agency here, you know, we would have, who knows what would have happened with Jalen Brunson, right? I mean, can you imagine if Dallas would have been able to offer him for an extension during the year for 25% of the cap? You know, maybe, maybe they put down a $110 million extension and they were limited to 55 million. I mean, I mean, another good example is Demonis Sabonis. Like, and they're having a great year in Sacramento, yeah. but like what happens if all hell breaks loose next year? He can't be extended because his number is so low. And now he's going to be, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent in 2024. OG and I mean, there's a list of guys here who, who signed these basically at, at the time, you know, weren't considered team friendly, but are now um, you're basically, you're, you know, you're, um, you're, you're handcuffed. I mean, we went through it, Brian and, you know, with Darren Williams, like we didn't, Darren didn't choose us when we traded for him, but we had right. to basically, and we couldn't, they I mean, talking about extension rules that were really outdated. They were outdated. I mean, it was basically a seven and a half percent increase and it didn't make sense at all. And then you try to do all these different things to appease a player here. Um, so I think at the end of the day, and hopefully we'll, we'll hear some more about, you know, in the next few weeks or week, the CBA, you know, where the CBA negotiation is that this is kind of one of the things I it's, it's I, for me, it's not even really a, a, a matter that needs to be collectively bargained. It helps the league. It helps teams, you know, as far as least Washington would love to offer Kyle Kuzma more than a four year, $70 million extension that he's eligible for. Right. I mean, like, right. I mean, I don't know about Toronto with Fred, <laughs> I think four for one fourteen is a pretty, a pretty solid number for him, but I know he's looking for more, but um, I just think it, it gives the teams another resource as, as far as to, to retain that player um, if, if these rules are, are tweaked here. Do you think that there's any ability or impetus to get that 
done before the trade deadline so the teams have a clarity on I I think there's a priority that teams aren't going into the trade deadline with blinders on. Yeah. That you kind of What's, know what you're working with. Yeah. It's not just the extension rules. The other thing is the, um, the, the luxury tax yeah. because um, there's not going to be a hard salary cap, but I don't think, I don't want to talk in absolutes. I, I think I might <laughs> I think I, I think there might I think if that was really on the table, I don't think we would be hearing momentum and talks. But um, it sounds like there is going to be changes to the luxury tax system, potentially making the high payrolls even more penal to try to get them under control, but also possibly um, changing um, the levels at which teams are taxed. So it may be sort of a give and take. But certainly if you're looking at, if you're a team that's at or near the tax or expects to be at or near the tax in a couple of years or, you know, year two or year three from now, you may want to have a better idea of where the tax is going and how much tax is going to cost before you think about trading for a player with two or three years left on his contract. You know, for example, you know, a guy like John Collins, who's got multiple years at over 20 million on his contract. Um, you know, he's been dangled on and off the market for months now. I don't think that's a, a breaking news. Um, you know, if you're going to trade for him, you might like to know what your, what the cap rules are going to be in 2024, 2025. I just don't know if that can be sped along enough for, or, or even teams to have, if, even if it's not ratified for teams to have a good feel by the start of February, um, because it's all minutia. But, you know, I think obviously if uh, if fans listen to this podcast, I'd like to think that they're slightly more educated than the average fan. But every single fan wants to know about trades, um, you know, uh, wherever I am in the country this time of year or, you know, in this case, over even overseas. Um, people, when they come up to me, they, you know, say hello, blah, blah, blah. And then they say, who are we going to get? Like, you know. <laughs> Who are my Mavericks going to get? Who are my Pelicans going to get? Who are my uh, 76ers going to get? Um, and, you know, this is a big thing about who they're going to get is what these what these rules are. And we're in a bit of an unusual time. I don't want to say it's like, you know, three alarm fire, but it's an unusual time, Bobby, to be at a trade deadline and to know that the rules are probably going to change in the very short term but not have a great feel on what those rules are going to be. And I do think, while it's not a fun storyline to talk about. I do think it's, a, it's something that's happening in the league right now. I was, I was, there's, there's a player who's been rumored to possibly be available. Who's on a big contract and I'm trying to be vague here, but I'm talking to a GM the other day. And this GM is a GM that has um, trade assets that could potentially be in position to trade for a major player. And he's like, how do I, how can I take on X million when I don't know what it's going to look like, what what my cap sheet is going to look like in three years. I mean, this is a guy who's actively saying this uh, to me. So I can imagine what they're saying inside, uh, you know, meetings and trade talks right now. Well, yeah, because there's a, there's almost like a three or four step process. It's not just the general manager signing off, right? You've got, anywhere you know certainly your owner but you've got your fine your finance people are saying all right like show me you know show me what it's going to look like three years from now and how do you know and if you're taking on as you know you gave an example john collins who got you know 25 plus million 
And we've already got, you know, three other guys making that, you know, like uh, a hypothetical, like whatever ha- would happen if Ben Simmons became available, right? In in Brooklyn, I'm, and he's not, I'm just throwing it out there. But like, you know, he's got, you know, you know, a couple more years at max type number here. Like, can you go, can you absorb that type of number? And I think, I think that's why the next few weeks are going to be pretty critical, not just for the trade deadline, as far as if we see, you know, any type of movement with the CBA that teams have a little bit more of an, of an, an understanding. And I think that will help up, you know, certainly we're in, we're in a slow process. Things will probably start picking up February 1st. That will help up, you know, help, you know, make, you know, either teams are going to be more comfortable or you're going to wait into the off season. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think my feel is that one of the reasons why talks are sluggish right now is because of unknowns, period. Unknowns about the CBA, unknowns about where certain players' health is going to be, unknowns about where teams are going to be. We're kind of running out of time because you're kind of saying to yourself, well, you know, February is in 10 days, you know, or less, you know, whatever it is. It's by the time this pod comes out, it'll be in eight days or whatever. Um, Cause I keep hearing people say what you just said. Well, let's get to February 1st. Let's get well, to the February one thing 1st. I would say though, and just, it's just, you know, going back in history though, I mean, you look at the last five years and I think 84% of the trades is the first week of February, you know, that first week, including deadline week. So, you know, you know how it goes, Brian, everybody's waiting for that, right? You're like, if there is a Jay Crowder deal for Phoenix and like, well, you know what, let's just wait two more weeks. It might be a little bit better, right? Like, you know, there's, unless it's, you know, we saw Blake get traded at the end of January that year to with Detroit and the Clippers, because that was like the Clippers think like, this is the best we're going to do. Right. You know, Porzingis got traded. I think the end of January to Dallas, um, you know, I kind of came out of, you know, a little bit out of nowhere, but um, yeah, I think the, I think the bigger name guys, um, if a team is really looking to move off them, I don't think they'll probably do better than what they can get now. And I think there's, there's just not, there's just that not many named guys out there. It's funny. Uh, Porzingis was in New York this week and he, he kind of talked about how there's been a bit of a thawing from the fans. And he talked about how, I, I think if I've got this right, I watched the interview, but I can't remember the exact things, but he said maybe he could have handled it differently. Um, what I always remember about that, it was like the fastest answered trade demand, like, uh, in history. Like he came in and said, I need to be traded. And they traded him like by noon. <laughs> yeah. I think I was in Bristol when that happened. It was like, I think it was like the, maybe the first, the, the, maybe been the, was it the week up? I don't know. I was, I was in, I remember being in the cafeteria when like you get the, like, you know, the five alarm bell rings, you right. Like the fireman, you're, yeah. you're sliding down the, you're sliding down the, uh, <laughs> down the ladder. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, he was also injured and out for the year. So it, uh, at that time, uh, but yeah. And it's funny, like you routinely come up with these historical data points. Like you'll say, um, you know, uh, there hasn't been a trade in, October since 2016. And then like, it turned out to be right, you know, and I can't think of any more top of my head, but you know, there hasn't been mid-level signings. Well, there hasn't been a guy who there hasn't been a player who's gotten renegotiated, hasn't renegotiated his contract since 2017, Robert Covington. And maybe Miles Turner will be the next, you know, he'll, be, he'll break that five-year streak. Or if, uh, yeah. Because there. yeah, that'll be interesting. I mean, I, I, Miles Turner is a guy who a lot of people he, in the league talk to me about um, because uh, they 
the the Pacers have dangled him. He's flirted with wanting to leave the the Woj pod that, you know, it's it's one of the one of the moments of the year so far when he basically put out an ad in the it was Woj's pod, yeah. right? Where he yeah, basically yeah. put out an ad yeah. to be traded to the Lakers. <laughs> um he self-tampered. Uh it was amazing. And then all of a sudden it was like, actually, we're doing great. We're and they were, and they and and they're on a West Coast trip and the Pacers are taking on the chin right now because Halliburton is out. But um, and then they tried to renegotiate, but like this team offered DeAndre Ayton the max, not like hypothetically, like put it to paper, offered DeAndre Ayton the max, and um, but is obviously not willing to go anywhere close to that for the guy they have in house. And it's just interesting because you know, a lot of people say that Miles Turner is an imperfect player, and that's true. A lot of people say DeAndre Ayton's an imperfect player, and that's true. But yeah, I mean, um, uh, the, you know, the concept, but you know, what is the deadline for the renegotiation and extension? February 28th. Okay. Yeah. So right, there's they might wait. To, in, yeah. There's 28 yeah. days in February. Yeah. Yeah. They um, may wait and see what they do at the deadline yeah. that happens there. But, uh, but yeah. So typically when you give stats about the history of moves, obviously it's not ironclad, but there's a there's a reason why you've got those numbers. Do you before we go? Do you think there's anything else in this CBA that if and when it gets done, like let's say it gets done February seventh or something or fifth, um, that you're going to immediately be looking at uh, other than the extension rules and the luxury tax rules that we've talked about here? I think it's really just going to be an amendment of what we already have. I mean, this isn't 2011 when it just basically everything got scrapped and we started from a new, I mean, it's, it's going to be um, an amendment off of 2017. Um, I do think there's some, some, the, you know, there's some tweaks here, as you mentioned, the extension, I think the luxury tax is going to be really important just because what we're seeing now, Brian, is that it's, it's almost are acting as a hard cap for teams. You know, Miami's a good example, right? Like, um, um, you know, not signing a 15th player because they're 194,000 below the luxury tax. And, you know, they're always if, like a hundred always, and then they'll make a move. And then all of a sudden it opens up. I think it'll be you know, an interesting thing too. I think the two way players is going to be interesting. Like Bob Myers went on a record and said, eventually like we can't keep on playing Anthony lamb and, and Ty Jerome, right? Because you've got 50, 50 games limit here. Um, you know, so I think, I think an expansion of rosters, possibly we could see something like that. Um, but I'm not, I'm not expecting a huge, like, you know, we're going to have to be like, you know, pulling all night or re you know, reading these, you right. know, these rules here. You can now stream the most MLB games on direct TV without a satellite dish. Yes. Catch the clutch hit strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa birds, old timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill seeking raccoons, you name it. They won't find a satellite dish, but you will find your MLB games on direct TV. That means direct TV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes. Stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECT-TV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. 
Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. I feel the exact same way. And I just will say that I know that there are people who are like, oh, the the league is going to be out for blood with player resting or players demanding trades or players sitting out or I don't see any scalpels. I don't want to, how far I want to go with this metaphor. I don't feel that at all. Uh, I think it's just nitty gritty negotiations. I don't think it's going to be, I mean, to some, to some team lawyers and to some team uh, finance guys, I think there could be some, some changes that have to make them roll up their sleeves, but I don't think we're going to see this sea change with, you know, owners trying to force players in regardless of how it, sounds and well the, the funny the, the yeah, i mean the the funny thing that brian is um real quick is like everyone's talking about well like we should make contracts non-guaranteed and do the nfl stuff like you can write whatever you want in a contract like there's right. no one's putting a gun to your head saying that you have to give a player a guaranteed contract like it, you can be creative as much as you want right you can do a kevin porter jr type contract yeah that that was but, a football style contract yeah, I mean, you can, um, you know, you can do it, Spencer Dinwiddie, games played, and teams can do whatever they want here. They just elect not to, right? Like, that's, I mean, that's the reason why. Do you know what I made an impression on me? Um, I don't know the NFL rules at all. I very loosely follow the NFL. But when DeMar Hamlin um, was placed on injured reserve, um, the league made an announcement that they basically – allowed a one-off amendment to the CBA that allowed him to get his full money. And I said, what was that come again? And it was that if you get put on IR, not released, if you get put on IR and you have a certain contract, and I think he was a six round draft pick. Uh, I think that's right. This yeah. is like his second year. So he's, so he's still on like the early part of his freaking deal. You get your pay reduced that you, you apply. You know his situation was was incredibly traumatic, but let's let's just say you, you know, like you don't even need to tear your ACL. At, at, you know, lately if you're in week 13 and you have a high ankle sprain, you get put on IR or fit week 15 or whatever. And I was like, some guys get their contracts reduced, um, and uh, that's just standard business in the NFL. And like, you know, you think about you know, the NBA and, you know, the protections that they have, uh, they're not going backwards. <laughs> they're not no. going backwards that way. No, Brian, uh, we had 400 at one point, we had 440 players out of that group. 30 had non-guaranteed contracts. 410 wow. were guaranteed. And then that, you know, increased when we got past January 7th. It's a big number. Big well, number. How, well, how, yeah. And so now it's like way well, they're all guaranteed well, all at guaranteed, this point, right? Yeah. Right. But we see it every so, year. Yeah. Yeah. And just to be clear, the, the Jalen, uh, not um, the, um, the contract uh, Kevin Porter signed, it was basically guaranteed for the first year of the extension right. and then not guaranteed after it. Right. Roll, and, and it's a rolling triggers, as we call it, right? Which sounds like you might sign an, like, like you might <laughs> sign a, a tight end to. You know, yeah. you make a, your signing bonus is your first year salary. Right. And it was kind of applauded as like really inventive. And I was like, it depends on who you ask. 
Yeah, it depends on like who's negotiating it, right? Like, right. Certain people would uh, say no to it, but his situation yeah. was a little bit different. All right. Well, thank you for lending your expertise as usual. Um, I I will be I'm just gonna say before I, before we go here, uh, I'm not quitting on the Hawks. Okay, I may take that back in a month, but. I'm not going to pile on and quit on the Hawks. I'm not going to assume. I think Landry Fields has a good future as a executive and, you know, we'll see about the other guys in the front office, but you know, I, I can see DeJounte Murray saying some things in two years and I can see there being stories written in two years where it's like, Oh, you know, there was all this chaos when these guys came aboard and then they did a, B and C and now look at them, you know, and I think we need to leave the lanes open for both. Just, well, I, mean, uh, I think we learned our lesson in with Brooklyn. You know, like Brooklyn was a mess. I guess we can say they were a mess this summer here, and then you, you know, go. and then and they were they were a mess in November when everything happened with Kyrie and and uh, Steve Nash, and then a month later we're like, man, Sean Marks is a genius for not trading Kevin. <laughs> right? Like it, it happens quick. I think for my message for for Landry Fields is just just manage the situation, right? Like just yeah. manage what you can control in house, right? Like that's that's probably the biggest the biggest thing there. Yeah. Well, we'll see. There'll be more drama elsewhere for us to talk about soon. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you to Bruce, our producer. Um, thank you for listening. We will talk to you guys uh, in a few days. Real quick, what's the easiest choice you can make? Window seat over middle? Taco Tuesday over salad? What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash hoop, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash hoop now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash hoop.